Thank you so much for joining our roundtable discussion titled Manage Risk with Intelligence, Data Protection and Compliance Solutions. During the session, we'll be discussing the biggest concerns for today's CIOs, CISOs and DPOs, and we'll explore the best ways to protect data, mitigate risk and address compliance regulations in this new reality and lots more. Our roundtable today is hosted by David Maskell, the Cybersecurity Solutions Group Security GBB Manager, and Rami, uh, Rami Kalash, the Area Technical Sales Manager, both from Microsoft. David and Rami will also be joined by Bernard Svercina, Chief Information Security Officer, First Island Risk Management, Barry Cook, the Group Data Protection Officer, VFS Global, and finally, Dr. Vaz Karianopoulos, who is a reader in cybercrime and cybersecurity at the University of Portsmouth, who will also be contributing to the discussion. Thank you very much, Charlotte. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for your time. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of, I guess, a, a background, a little bit of a synopsis on this. Uh, you know, and I, the one thing that I'm sure nobody here in IT has heard before is that uh, things are changing. It's a little joke. Things are always changing, right? And uh, I think no more so than in the last couple of years, I think that we have uh, had many of uh, the kind of technologies and processes that we were thinking of implementing, which have kind of been accelerated in, a, in an absolutely unbelievable kind of a way. And I think it's kind of, uh, you know, shown us uh, that we can be super agile, uh, you know, with the right motivation. And uh, with it has brought, you know, obviously, of course, a number of challenges, but uh, seemingly uh, things have been getting better and better or worse, depending on how prepared or not organizations were at the time. So I think it's kind of a really different world of, of certainly compliance and privacy. And I think that's really what kicked off some of our discussions in this, this call today, certainly. And, uh, you know, lots of organizations have been uh, involved in really sort of um, adapting to this, this new world of work that we find ourselves in today, which uh, quite frankly for me has been... Uh, has been just a huge eye-opener, honestly. It's it's wonderful to see how people have adapted. But obviously, along with that comes uh, a number of challenges, and uh, I think that's what we're going to address here today. And please, if you if you want to contribute, you want to ask a question, I mean, this is a, this is a round table. This is not just a, just a me talking or the speakers talking to you. Let's let's have a really engaged uh, conversation. Uh, and and please, you know, just just shout out if you want to uh, ask a question and get involved. Very very easy. So uh, with that opening remark, I, I wondered, Rami, is there anything you want to add, or shall we uh, shall we get into our discussion? No, I'm I'm, I'm I'm think I'm good. The only thing I would like to to mention is we've always talked about security from the day we started the the, the IT. But compliance is somehow surprisingly in your discussion. But when you think of it, it is something as as uh, important, a cornerstone, just like security. You know, and and I always like love to use the analogy of the face mask. You know, of, of the COVID, you can have the face mask. You you might think you're secure, but if you're not wearing it compliantly, you're not. So I can put the mask and then. Put it under my nose. I can put the mask under my chin, and we've seen this in in many places. So I might think as an organization, yeah, I'm secure. I have all the tools. I'm happy. But if I'm not using them 
in a compliant way or wearing them correctly, they are almost useless. So I, I, I think one of the things that we really need to talk about is how do we think of compliance, not just security and compliance as a broad uh, term. Yeah, absolutely. Any of the other speakers want to add anything, Bernard Barry, Bass? Um, well, I, I kind of agree with everything you're saying, except, you know, when you said uh, the IT world is changing, I think the biggest problem with IT security is we're not changing that much, that, that quickly. Like, seriously, I'm doing this 20 years and we're doing the same shit, excuse my language, over and over again, expecting different results. And I think that's that's one of the problems. We, you know, we literally what we do is like, oh, there's a new technology, <gasps> AI. Yes, this is going to solve all our problems. And then it didn't. So then it's like, oh, deep learning. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. And, you know, we're doing this over and I'm doing this for 20 years and we're doing the same thing. <laughs> Do you want to add blockchain to that list? I thought oh, yeah, yeah. No, so there's, there's, a, there's another one. And this will <laughs> definitely solve everything. <laughs> Barry Best, anything else to add? Yeah, yeah, I, I just reflect Bernard's comments. Um, you know, to a certain extent, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, if you look at the majority of, of security incidents, they they tend to stem back to very basic principles, things that haven't changed in 20, 30 years since the days of sort of network security, um, which, you know, as we know, was the birth of InfoSec and, and all the other disciplines. But um, yeah, it still comes back to the basics, I think. And you're absolutely right there, Bernard. Nothing, you know, yeah, we've got blockchain, which would tell us, you know, <laughs> what metrics we may have in place or not. Or, um, no, not a good example. But yeah, I, I think, you know, we're, we're just looking at different ways to do some basics. And I'm a firm believer that get the basics right and you've got a secure system. Yeah. Nice, nice. Dr. Bass, anything to add? Uh, yeah, uh, first of all, um, I, I really agree with Rami uh, in terms of using the examples from uh, from COVID uh, to show compliance and and how we react to regulations, to compliance, how we implement measures and how security is based on everyone actually behaving in the same way. So yes, one example is obviously not wearing the mask, right? Um, but then another example is people wearing the mask and then other people not wanting to wear the mask or not wearing and how that might compromise the people that actually wear the mask uh, properly. So um, I, I think, you know, I've, I've used I've used these examples many times when when teaching uh, cyber awareness with businesses. And I think it, it is something that we can use all this learning. I think we, we spent the next uh, the last couple of years uh, thinking about how we operate as a community and how we can keep everyone safe, how we can safeguard our loved ones, you know, our organizations and so on. And I, I, I think we we can and we should take this learning forward in this new like post-COVID hybrid era that we are moving towards. And I, I think this is really important. I, I think I'm going to borrow your um, your. Um your metaphor there Vass actually of other people not wearing the mask because it's a perfect uh, metaphor for supply chain uh, compromise exactly. yeah I, I I was I wanted to say that as well that with the current situation a lot of young startups or new businesses that have gone online 
um, are now entering the supply chain. Um, and even though the big players might be better protected, um, they are forced to interact with new businesses that are just starting out, just becoming familiar with what the cybersecurity environment looks like and, and what the implications of becoming cyber secure might be. Um, and obviously that has an impact on the businesses that are doing cybersecurity for a longer period of time, interacting with these smaller businesses. Mm. That is a very interesting one. I, I'm, I'm probably also going to steal that as well. But uh, you know, as we <laughs> as we move into this uh, this new thing, I mean, there's a lot of uh, of challenges that you know, as as we've mentioned. And I mean, in terms of you know the management of things, I mean, I wonder if you know I could open this to all the speakers and of course anyone who's who's on the call. I mean, in terms of the way things have been changing, I mean, you know. Um, in terms of managing data, reducing risk of that data, you know, what are the what have been the main challenges that you've seen in the last couple of years that have kind of been a little bit more impactful uh, than others? And I guess I'll, I'll I'll pick whoever wants to answer that that question first. Pick me. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think besides obvious things like growing data and companies having a lot of shadow IT and data being everywhere or more and more cloud kind of based things, you know, Microsoft and OneDrive and people having access to it from anywhere and people throwing data left, right and center. You know, that's that's obvious something that we have. And I think everyone is seeing this. What I'm seeing, what I think is the, the biggest challenge from my point of view is that when I'm getting a new employees in the company, like juniors, people starting for the first day, they have zero cybersecurity awareness or care about it. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, they have, they, are, they you know, say 15 years ago, when I get, when we got a new employee, usually people were not that proficient with the internet and with whatever is there. Nowadays, when I have a new 18-year-old or 19-year-old in the com- in the in the company. They know more than, than than some people in IT actually <laughs> uh, when it comes to the cloud services and everything, but they completely are not interested in security, privacy, compliance. Uh, they don't care, you know. It's like, yeah, I can take this document. I need to share it with someone. I can I, throw I it would, to my OneDrive or whatever yeah, and just send it out. I would argue it's the opposite. They want to share stuff. They want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. True, true. So, so, so for me, that is the, the biggest problem. I mean, we, <laughs> for me, the metaphor is like, we are, it's like, it's like having a kid uh, right now, raising them or a bunch of kids on the estate, raising them for 20 years without telling them a word about the cars. And then when they are 20, bring them to the motorway and say, oh, you need to cross to the other side. You need to cross to the other side. And there's an 11 page PowerPoint about cars, go. And then when half of them dies, it's like, I don't know what happened. They haven't PowerPoint about awareness of cars. What's wrong? <laughs> Let's try again the same thing with another bunch of kids and see what happens. And and that's that's exactly what we do. I mean, we we moved like the the world moved in in terms of cyber, in terms of internet, electronic stuff. And the last two years were were fantastic in that. I mean, for me, like I love it. Like I was trying to convince my company for years to go, you know, working from home and everything. And there was like, no, we, we're not ready. And then we had to do it. And hey, we, we did it and we, we, we're working great. There's no, no issues. So 
the whole world just moved in terms of, of, of use uh, of internet and, and technologies. But as an education sense, we are in the same place as we were 20 years ago. We're just not doing it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. I understand. Yep. <clears throat> Good point. Can I add to that point, uh, David? Um, so I, I teach young people cyber awareness and, and cyber security, obviously, at the university, but also through the cybercrime awareness clinic I, I run. We go out to the community and we provide workshops and, and seminars to young people. And we can see exactly this. There's, there's a lot of young people that are very tech savvy in terms of um, knowing how to operate different platforms, even, even code. But security is not a feature. Um, and I think this is important. And I, I really am going to steal that analogy with a PowerPoint about cars, uh, Bernard. This is exactly the problem. We, we get new employees or we even want to update the knowledge of, of current employees. And what we do is just give them a very sterile, dry PowerPoint um, or these online trainings that you can probably, you know, guess the multiple choice answer. Um, and, and we think that they are aware and they're knowledgeable in, in terms of cybersecurity. And obviously, most of these employees are going to get this in the first couple of months that they've joined the organization, even the first couple of weeks. And then they, they will do so many different things during that period that most of that knowledge will not be consolidated. They won't remember half of the stuff that they saw in that online training, even if they paid attention to it. Um, and then we see organizations not going back and not really trying to refresh that knowledge, not really trying to deal with uh, the new problems. This is not a static environment. It's obviously a very, a very much developing environment, especially in the current climate. So um, not only we're providing a, a very sterile cyber awareness, but uh, we don't really try to make it more interesting, more exciting. And we see that with young people. They, they complain uh, about the training that they receive in schools. They find it boring. They, they complain about getting the same stuff over and over again about um, online abuse and, and phishing and, mm -hmm. and so on. So I think it's not just about providing the cyber awareness, but providing it in a way that will be meaningful and people will um, yeah. adopt I mean it remember it and and want to actually implement all these these points that they see. I mean guys let's face it cybersecurity is extremely boring right <laughs> it's 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 paperwork and policies and procedures I mean like I know every like everyone when the people hear hacker or cybersecurity everyone has this image in their head there's a you know dark basement somewhere I'm in Russia and there's a person you know vigorously typing and doing and stuff happening you know but reality is it's not what we do right like most of our job is just going through paperwork and papers and policies and 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 stuff like that so what we do then we take that boring stuff and we throw it at the kids and they're just not interested if we are lucky to throw it at the kids because in, in many places there's just not even a hint of desire to do it towards, uh, to, to, to educate in this area. I, I agree. I, I would love to add a point as well. I, I think organizations have the responsibility of providing the right tools as well, in addition to awareness. Because 
at least in my career, I've, I've seen many of, of the attacks or, or the, the leakage happening unintentionally because the, the employee wanted to get the job done. Okay. And if you're giving them a tool that is quite uh, complex, quite tough to use under the name that it is more secure then don't get surprised if then then sending everything over WhatsApp or, or over whatever that is not controlled by the company. Just demonizing them is not right. I, I feel some people, they just need to get the job done and they do it with the easiest way. I know it's tough, the balance, but I believe the organizations, in addition to the awareness, they need to provide as much as possible a smooth tool, a smooth alternative, secure, but to make the job done. But just looking from the the security angle itself, it makes even employees, uh, you know, uh, really bored from, from, and I remember back in the days when I was discussing some solutions, not even on the cloud, and then the firewall guy would, would say, no, I'm closing all the ports, you know, I want to, he just want everything uh, uh, jailed in, 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 in their data center. And still expecting the the the, uh, the job to be done and, and the business to grow. So yeah, I, I, you know what? That's a perfect point because I think that's one of the problems with the IT security or cybersecurity. Lots of high cybersecurity people are sitting in those ivory towers, and you say, okay, we're doing this, whatever that is, closing ports, blocking access, whatever. But there's no explanation why. And if someone asks why are we doing this. Security is very important. Don't ask the questions. Go away. You know, it's almost like on the movie, national security. It's like company security. Just and and that's the that's the that's the issue. I mean, and and then we, as I said, we're doing the same things over and over again. Then the data breach happens. Then we are surprised. Then we're going to throw more tech, more policies, lock down more stuff. Then everybody stop caring. Then another breach happens, and we do the same thing again and again. And think, it's, it's never yeah. ending cycle. And I think the, another problem, sorry, but another problem there is, despite what we always say and what, what Ward is saying, that, oh, if you lose your data as a company, there's a massive consequences. And I say, are they? Are they really massive consequences? Let's look at a couple of companies. Like, let's look at Target that lose the data of, what, 80 million customers' credit card details? It's costed them less than their daily uh, turnover. Yeah, that's true. Did it cost LinkedIn anything to lose data? Did it cost even Yahoo didn't really cost anything? And and you know, there's a lot of companies that that lost tons of data. There was massive data leaks. And if you look at this the where they are at the moment, I mean Target is doing better than they were doing before ever. <laughs> like I was I, I was looking at, at some share price uh charts recently and I was like Maybe that's the way. Whenever a company gets hit by the cyber event, buy. <laughs> and two months later, sell. And you you always make money. Like, if you look at the share prices, there's a hit. Share prices go down. Two months later, nobody cares because there's another bigger hit somewhere. And yeah. the share prices go up. And they are, of course, they are companies that they get done. But the big ones, the biggest ones, they're not. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, absolutely reflect the, the two opinions there that, you know, the vulnerability surface, if you like, you know, to look at it in the, the classic, you know, threat vulnerability equals risk equation. The vulnerability surface has, uh, has massively increased, you know, down to 
the human impact, the human component as well. But also in parallel to that, the actual the threats have massively increased, as we've seen over the last six months with, you know, the ransomware attacks and the advent of crime as a service, in effect, um, you know, which means the barrier to entry to, into that is very, very much lower. There used to be, a you know, a, almost a skill barrier that, you know, you, yeah. you have the script kiddies. But now with the ability to purchase that as a service, um, as I say, the barrier to entry has, has massively dropped. And also, you know, the, as we're seeing the shift in the supply chain attack with Kaysera, you know, you saw that there. What a brilliant way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't condone the, 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 the people doing it, but you do have to sometimes you know, in in the business think, yeah, that was pretty slick. That was, uh, you know, that was smart. Um, yeah, okay, not on the receiving end, obviously. But, um, but that combined, and, you know, I, I do feel under a pressure here now to produce an analogy that other people can steal. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, we, we do actually have a perfect storm scenario here. Um, in the you know the, the the actual vulnerability the human vulnerability uh, um uh surface has increased but as has the threat surface the the actual threat vectors are massively increased as well so i think we're living in very dangerous times based on those two components I'm just gonna gonna throw it something in here that I was thinking about as as you guys were talking and, and Bernard, I think you kind of picked this off right at the beginning, but uh, we were looking a little bit about the external kind of people joining the organization. And as we've gone through this this little round, I feel um, that we're really talking a lot about insider risk here yeah. more you know about a lot of a lot of other things so would that be i mean that seems to be very high on on everyone's minds that i i mean i i come out i i was the guy blocking off all the ports on the firewall 20 years ago by the way so <laughs> so, so you know i was i was uh, defending against the outsiders but now i feel that you know insider risk is 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 really top of your mind so you want to comment on that a little bit based on what you've said i mean it seems like that really is the the one of the key elements I think it's a hundred percent true. I mean, one of the again, it's a perception. The perception of cybersecurity, as I said, is this guy in a hoodie in Russia hacking your company and stealing your data. But the reality is, the problems are always with coming with with in, from the inside the organization and on all levels. I mean, from junior level people to 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 CEOs and C level. Now, I think it comes to the fact that I'm sorry, I, I don't have an actual. Uh, research or proper uh, proper data but i think most people just don't give a flying yeah. care they just don't care <laughs> uh, on all levels uh, and they don't care because they, it's, it's a malicious they just don't care because it's not high on their agenda until something really happens uh, you know it's like the house insurance for your house you you have it but you don't really care because you don't expect your house to go on fire unless it goes and then there's a different story uh, obviously but that's the, that's the problem. People just don't care because it's that high on their agenda, and and that comes to 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 the, like I said across the whole organization. But I think the cybersecurity as industry as or as kind of showed on media in entertainment 
it really points everything thing to the external threats and hackers and every care everyone cares about that but you know i think i don't remember i don't know how fresh those statistics are but i think it was 2015 when fbi was saying that 75 or 80 percent of all data breaches in us was down to the internal uh pro you know internal malicious or not malicious uh employees action yeah and we and we really do look outside and we look look massively outside in, in the cybersecurity where we really need to do, do to look in you know into organizations but, but you know the problem is i think the, the 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 biggest problem is we can't do this with the traditional or non or whatever way we're doing cybersecurity you know with policies procedures and technology or whatever we do we keep forgetting that the most important and the hardest really to to to, to, to control element is the human factor in it, is the people. Like, you know, the easiest, I keep saying to my, to my board, hey, you want to secure everything? That's very easy. We just take the data, bring it to the basement, lock it down, put a couple of security guards in front of it, disconnect the internet, and you'll be more or less secure, right? Uh, and they said, but we can't work like that. Yeah, we can't, but your data will be secure. Probably, yeah. because, you know, and the reality is, if some massive player, if a Chinese government, for example, or Russian government, or US government, for example, decides, oh, I need Bernard's data. There's nothing I can do to protect myself from it. Like, honest to God, I mean, you know, it's being hacked, it's really just a function of time and money, nothing else. Like, even brute forcing the password, like, it could be super complicated, but if you can throw enough money, hey, on Azure and power up enough, enough servers to start breaking that, you will get there very quickly. It's, it's, it's just the cost. So, you know, and, you know, honest to God, if it's a Chinese government, probably hiring a big guy yeah. <laughs> who will get the password from me in about 20 seconds is going to be cheaper. <laughs> and way more <laughs> yeah. so, so the reality is it's, it's just a function of time and money and maybe determination of the, the, the malicious player as how much he wants to get your data. But that's not what happens to in 90, I guess, or 80% of cases. What happened in most of the cases is just lack of care. It's someone clicking that bloody link, someone not updating system. I mean, look at Ireland. We had the massive stack of HSE systems. But what happened in one place, call it a health-related place, someone clicked on a link on a company laptop, and it took, I think, about four or five weeks from infection to spread across the devices. And one of the problem was most of the infected devices were Windows 7 and below. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that is another part of the part of the thing is keeping up to date. And I feel like insider risk is is when we talk about it. I think a lot of uh, people and organizations, and maybe this is also me and my experience, but you know they think about these malicious or non-malicious employees. But the other problem with an insider risk program is not the employees. It's, as you said, some of them who sit at the top and make those decisions, which is which is another kind of can of worms in terms of policies and, you know, implementing an insider risk program. I don't know, Barry, if you want to comment a little bit on that. I mean, we, we, we you know, on, on implementing one of these programs and the challenges around these, uh, you know, organizational selling really to to C-level type people. Yeah, you're on mute, Barry, sorry. Yeah, that's better. It's a saying of 2021, isn't it? You're on mute. Yeah, um, 
um yeah i think i think you've really sort of hit the nail on the head there david that you know that senior level above a certain grade in the major nearly every company i've worked in they don't receive the training um Mm. you know because they're too busy to get the training or you know well they're they're at a senior level so they know everything um they have in my experience as well a separate security policy for them which is normally more open exactly exactly yeah 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 yeah. and you know there's an irony there isn't there because you know the whale fishing uh, actions are are incredibly effective now but i think you know sort of just just before sort of carry on on that coming back to the previous discussion there i think one of the problems that we have in infosec is a lot of the root causes are actually outside our remit and if if we look at sort of reports um sorry it's not microsoft but verizon they did a breach a data breach report which you know you're probably very familiar with 80 percent of breaches originate from errors and when you do a bit of a dive down on what those errors are they are in the it departments not the infosec areas we're talking about configuration errors we're talking about rolling out um, patches that may not have been fully tested or regression te- well, not regression tested fully tested changes that haven't been sandboxed or whatever so and that falls outside of the infosec remit generally speaking yes we have an input on on change control and we should have proper change control procedures that we're invited if we're lucky along to the change advisory board but generally speaking it's the the bulk of the issues are something we can't deal with in the average company because uh, you know, security said, no, we're kept out of a lot of meetings um, deliberately. But um, just wanted to say that before we move on to that, you know, the sort of business engineering compromise element of uh, of senior execs. Oh, absolutely. No problem. Um, Dr. Vess, any comments? Yeah, I, I think um, I would like to highlight the point that sort of fuses the two, the management aspect and the, the insider aspect. And this is... Um, obviously, there's there's a lot of research that indicates that a lot of the compromises originate from insiders, either intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, Mitnick was saying that 90% of his hacks were actually social engineering, convincing people to give him information rather than actually doing this mega hack uh, that allowed him to, to enter. But I think for me, an interesting point that we tend to disregard sometimes is um, the the people that leave the organization. So the insiders that become outsiders um, and the implications of that. Um, and, and this obviously with, with especially um, all organizations relates to management as well. So I was speaking to um, a, a senior IT person from a, a large uh, corporation, I won't name. Um, and he was telling me there are two processes when people leave the organization uh, in order to, to manage the exit interviews, let's say, mm. of the person leaving. And and one related to HR and finance related issues, and the other process uh, related to information IT related issues. Um, and most managers were, uh, the, the managers were, were responsible for activating these processes um, in order for the person leaving to go through that Um, exit interview and most of the managers were actually activating the HR process 
mm. uh, refinements, etc. But we're not very familiar and we're not activating the information IT process. Um, and that meant that a lot of people were <laughs> leaving the organization with a lot of devices and passwords uh, that were still active uh, to an extent uh, and a lot of information on potentially personal devices that no one was checking if they had been deleted um, and so on. So I, I think this is a, a very interesting point that combines yeah. the management and the insider uh, issue. Well, that's one of the... Uh, Interesting. I was just gonna just gonna come to you, Rami. I just wanted to add one point that, that Dr. Vess mentioned a whole bunch of different internal departments who can always all kind of touch on this area. So maybe you want to continue the conversation and touch on that because that's a you know, I, yeah. I, what I want to say, in, at least in in my region, the amount of people I saw taking files with them while leaving, not just devices and passwords, and with intention that this is the work I, I, I did. Those are my files, those are my proposals, my offers. I need to have them, maybe I'll need, not an information, but um, a template, something like that is enormous. And I, I believe there was a less of, lack of awareness, not just from the employees, but even from the management that, no, you need to really have a clear, segregation between what is personal and what is corporate or, 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 or business. I think maybe the, the, the BYOD and the change in the world started alarming people that you need to take care of this. But before that, I've seen people you know, taking PSTs of their email archives with them, again, with good intentions. But, you know, the good intentions, again, leads to all the... Um, the evil in the world, the, the, their computers get hacked, uh, people, hackers take the PSTs, they discover a lot of information and they start selling it. So I think, like Doctor mentioned, the, the devices and the passwords and the IT needs to be engaged from one side, and also the compliance and the legal needs to be engaged on the other side to make sure that we're, we're having the right controls and the right awareness as well and culture that the content and the data is the company's. And when you're leaving, you should really leave them. I was just going to comment that I personally call BYOD as bring your own disaster. I'll write that down as well, thank you. Because I don't think anything good ever came out of BYOD. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's my opinion. <laughs> well, um, okay, no, I've stirred on that one. Okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so that's so that's a really good point. And I mean, um, just in terms of probably um, one of the final thoughts that I wanted to bring to the table here, which uh, for me as a as a as a Microsoft person is is pretty important because as you as as all of you know, I mean, we've been working a lot kind of remotely and uh, for many years already. Of course, again, just like everyone else, that sort of game was changed a couple of years ago. And uh, in terms of, you know, bring your own disaster, which I'm now, I'm now, I'll give you credit, but <laughs> I'm never trying to I'll invite you through, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> a lot out of this, out of this call. No, so, so, I mean, in terms of that, there's another, there's another side to it, which is, uh, you know, this kind of, uh, the idea of, of, let's say, firstly, digital communication within an organization without also now, you know, the boundary being so, so blurred, 
but also integrating with with other organizations which which brings its its own sort of kind of data challenges and how because we can do business internally and a lot of organizations are like that right maybe the smaller ones but as soon as you start growing you have this idea of now firstly communicating across those boundaries and secondly wanting to secure that so that brings in a whole bunch of other challenges and i want to just add a nice layer of complexity on that uh, quickly, which we, we, we have about uh, 13 minutes, so I don't want to get too deep into this. But also, now that we're dealing with pe people, with organizations that contain people outside of our own physical, logical, corporate boundaries, we also have the added uh, complexity of things like, you know, other compliance requirements and other jurisdictions. So maybe let's discuss that as a as kind of a closing 10 minutes in terms of managing that sort of communication, uh, bring your own disaster, plus these these external factors, which are probably most of the time government, uh, you know, um, standards. I mean, how, how are we keeping up with all of those things at the moment? That's a massive, massive bunch of questions. Maybe we should break that down to firstly communication. We can discuss the compliance regulations later. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, it's just incredibly complex. And like, I work very close with the compliance department. I mean, as a financial services, we are, you know, we are strictly regulated by Central Bank and we have a whole bunch of regulations that we have to, I would say, obey, but yes, obey. <laughs> because there's, there's, there's no really there's no really room for interpretation or anything like that you know it's it's, it's a central bank way or highway really uh so so we you know we we are we are because of a heavy uh, regulated industry we work with with with, with those or government bodies with other organizations and it's I, I find it very hard to be honest. I find it very hard because you know again it's it's it, as I said it's a communication. It's data in different places. It's the exchange of the the data and the amount of data everyone now requires. And it's funny because GDPR, for example, that's supposed to make it easier for us, right? It's supposed to regulate it in a way that oh we can turn around and say no we're not giving you this data or whatever. But it didn't. It actually put a way more work for everyone. Uh, it's put a way more strain on the resources and, you know, it's it's just the only thing that now is a good for individual fair play. But as a, you know, as a company, we, you know, it's it's just a massive pain because because the amount of an actual data that we gather almost doubled because of that. Because, you know, you gather data, but then you gather data about the data that you oh, gather okay. so you can report on that. And, and it's, it's, it's just... You know, the, and we're going. To, I think it's going to be more and more and more, and we're going back to the same problem. First of all, is do we have a way of cutting on it? Uh, and for example, and uh, you know, that's that's my very real problem, because one way I supposed to have, you know, I supposed to delete data if I don't need it. I supposed to do, you know, there's a right to be forgotten and so on and so forth. But as a central bank regulated entity, I have obligation to keep data for seven years. Of all the transactions, because that's the that's the that's what central bank expect me to do. So you know, there's there's this fine balancing act of what we can delete, what we can't delete, what we have to look, how we protect it, where we store it, and and how we train people not to leak it, you know, by mistake, by an error. Do I have an answer, or do I have a, a 
No, <laughs> I don't. If I if I had, I would probably I would be just in space with Bezos or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no, no. I I totally agree. Any other comments from the other speakers on that? On the keeping up with compliance and regulations, very challenging aspect. I think you know, from, from my perspective, with my organisation, uh, compliance has certainly you know come to what Bernard mentions GDPR in particular. It's given us an opportunity to showcase what we do, uh, and and we've actually seen it's affected the bottom line in a positive way. Um, because we can go beyond compliance to doing that extra mile and demonstrate that we are doing that. And, you know, all, all our businesses here that, you know, we have our fundamental core businesses, you know, which, you know, whatever that may be, but we're also in the business of trust and, you know, cutting two ways and one to our, you know, to our customers and on those that we supply if we are in a, a kind of scenario like that. But we are in the business of trust. And and I and I think we're moving to a new era of having to demonstrate that trust mm -hmm. uh, in order to, to to actually capture and retain um, the, you know, shall we say the discerning um, customer. I mean, we, you know, we, we joked about the millennials not caring about their privacy earlier, but to a certain extent they are. They know they can walk away uh, and they know they have a right to demand access to that data. And the level of education of, of people with respect, certainly, you know, within my field, data privacy, the, the level of education is really growing rapidly. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of press articles, educated pieces in the press uh, about data privacy and what your expectations are. So, um, you know, to, to respectfully disagree with you, there, Bernard, to, you know, to play devil's advocate, we, we've seen the opposite effect, that compliance has, has actually benefited the business and actually caused us to streamline a lot of our data. Uh, we, we've actually dumped a lot of data um, that we were collecting just in case. Um, you know, we, we might need it 20 years down the line. Who knows? You know, data is money. So, you know, yeah. So, yeah, for us, it's, be, it's been a, a bonus rather than a negative. Interesting. Interesting. Um, anything from you, Dr. Bass? Yeah, uh, I would like to reinforce uh, Barry's, Barry's argument in, in the sense that um, <laughs> the, GDP, the GDPR especially, I think, has been a, a motivating factor for cybersecurity. So we, we work with a lot of small and medium businesses uh, through, the, through the clinic. And, and what we have seen is that compliance with the GDPR has actually forced or incentivized a lot of these organizations to actually bother about cybersecurity as well, which obviously, if we are considering cybersecurity chain and the supply chain, and we discuss the importance of uh, interacting with small organizations within that supply chain, um, has an impact on the overall security that we experience because businesses start thinking about data, start thinking about protecting that data, and obviously cybersecurity is a main feature of the GDPR as well. So um, there is that element. But there's also the element of um, the controller 
um, being responsible for the processes and the security that the processes um, have. And, and I think this also reinforces um, the level of trust that Barry highlights, how um, if a third party now wants to work with a bigger organisation, they have to have um, some safeguards in place and demonstrate a, a certain level of compliance so that they can be trusted by that larger organization. So I think um, I, I totally empathize with Bernard uh, and the bureaucracy that the processes might have generated. Um, but at the same time, you know, from the ground up, I, I have seen the GDPR actually having a huge impact in terms of the amount of businesses that actually start. I'm not saying there's a huge amount of businesses um, that are small to medium, uh, worrying too much about cybersecurity, but at least it's, it's a great conversation starter for, for more security and more compliance. Yeah, it's on, the agen it's on the agenda now where it wasn't before. Yeah, yeah. very, very good point. And I, I'm gonna, I see we have just about five minutes left, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand over to Rami to kind of take us home on this topic and then we can, we can wrap up and if there's no other questions. So Rami, please, over to you. Yeah, sure. Look, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's now in the plan, I think, in the, in the thinking. But also, I believe many organizations are worried from the complexity coming with it. If it's GDPR, it's fine. But I've seen customers having more than seven to eight major regulatory bodies uh, having their own rules from a local one to an industrial one to a regional one. And even if they are in Middle East, uh, they are subject to GDPR due to their uh, customers and, and customer base. So I, I the complexity, and I, I feel we at, at, at Microsoft, what, what we're trying to do, trying to simplify it as much as possible from the IT, but without, uh, not just the IT, and even the <coughs> legal and, and, and compliance people, without sacrificing the um, the, uh, the security and, 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 and the um, uh, efficiency of it. So if you see like something like compliance manager, when you do one set of configuration, it will be reflected in all the regulations you have. So you don't have to go through everything. You'll have a clear view. You see all your um, uh, um, regulations that you're, 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 you're under. You see, where do you stand from a scoring system and what is needed to, uh, to be more compliant or to, to, to complete your score? You don't have to go through the Excel sheets. You don't have to go through uh, duplicated efforts for the same stuff. Of course, going to the employee experience itself, we're trying to fix the uh, or, or minimize the amount of unintentional leakage from automation uh, to, uh, to, to policies to stuff that hopefully makes it to the millennials or whatever employee are working easiest possible. So they don't, re they, they need to have awareness, of course, but still the room for error is covered in a way or another. Of course, when it's, when it's intentional, this is another story, but I believe what we're doing from both intentional and unintentional is very good. So you see the automated classification and, and, and protection along with the DLP, my opinion, again, I might be biased because it's, it's, it's the solutions I work with every day are 
are the best in, in, in the balance of productivity and security and compliance at the same time. But I would like to get your, even play the devil, devil's advocate if you want to. How do you see this? What do, what do you believe is maybe lacking or what do you believe is very good uh, from this front to make it easy for both the administrative part, whatever it's IT or, or uh, legal or compliance, and the end user part? I know we, we don't have a lot of time, but yes. Has <laughs> to answer, yes, yes. <laughs> so my, my, it's not I'm trying to yes. corner you so that you say nothing, okay? So it's not on yes. purpose. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't disagree. So my answer, my, all I can say is yes. <laughs> Good. Well, we are we are bang up on time, so. Uh, I guess uh, it's been a very fruitful discussion. One one thing in summary, I think we're we're in uh, from a from a you know privacy perspective and others and compliance. I think with the the perfect storm for me is the is the interesting takeaway <laughs> uh, in terms of what's happening out there. Uh, I think one thing can certainly be said that it is a bit of a journey that uh, that organisations have to take and uh, and manage it very carefully. And I think. Uh, Thank you to all the speakers. I think you've given everyone a lot of food for thought. Uh, I think we are complete and thank you very much. Really appreciate all of your input on the topic. Thank you. Thank you thank as you. well. Great. Thank you. Thank you.